Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your great mercy toward us. We thank you that you are a God uh, who does come to meet us. And we thank you for your scriptures that reveal that to us. We thank you for the sacraments which bring that reality home to us. And we pray that in this preaching that you would be at work in our midst, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So this past week uh, in Alpha, we saw a little clip from a young man named Alex who tells the story of when he was a teenager, uh, he had begun to, he, he, he developed a habit of stealing from his parents. And uh, eventually he stole from their bank account and they caught him and they called him out on it. And he, set, he tells the story that as soon as they confronted him, he immediately ran away, ran upstairs into his room, closed the door, pushed his bed against the door, piled up all his stuff on the door, and sat down on the other end of this, this barricade, crying and sobbing. And just a, a few minutes later, his father came up and knocked on the door, you know, not screaming, not, not lambasting him for, for his stupidity or his, his wrong deeds, but saying, Alex, I wish you would open the door. Your mother and I love you. And I really wish I could give you a hug right now. And Alex, reflecting on that story later, said to him that was such a beautiful picture of God's love. Because God is the one who comes and seeks after us. You know, when we're alone, when we're hiding in our guilt and shame, it's God who seeks after us. And he meets us right in the midst of our brokenness, right in the midst of our sin and the darkness. And that's what we see, right? That's what we see in this story of Jacob. We see uh, that we can commit ourselves to God because he is so committed to us. He is so committed to his covenant promises that he meets us even in the dark, even in our sin, even in our brokenness. We can commit ourselves to God because he's so committed to us. Now, I said God is committed to us even in the midst of our brokenness and sin. And now we might, we, we like that idea. We're, instinctually, that sounds right to us as Christians. But where is that coming from in the passage? Look at verse 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. Now, this is um, this sort of a pregnant sentence here. Beersheba is home for Jacob. Remember, like everything that we've, basically everything that we've witnessed with, uh, with Isaac and Jacob and Esau, all that's happened at Beersheba. Uh, that's home. That's where his mother loved him and favored him. That's where he, uh, unfortunately, that's where he dis, uh, defrauded his brother out of the, the birthright, and that's where he deceived his father by putting on Esau's clothes and the, the goat skin on his arms and, and claiming to be Esau so that Isaac would bless Jacob. And so Beersheba is, is both home, but it's also sort of the place where Jacob's life fell apart, the, the place where Jacob's sin came out into the light when, when it was revealed that he wasn't just Jacob, the one who grabbed his brother's heel when he was born, but he was Jacob the deceiver. Jacob the con man. And so Beersheba, even to just say Jacob left Beersheba, it, it calls to mind the ache of being away from home, but also the ache of knowing that it's all your fault. Your sin, your brokenness is now caught up with you. And he goes toward Haran. So Haran, remember uh, from earlier in the book of Genesis, Haran is where Abraham is from. It's the place where God met Abraham and said, come and I'll show you a land. Come and follow me. 
And so in Jacob's story, just in this one sentence, it's as if all that God has done for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all that has just come completely unraveled because of Jacob's sin and brokenness. And so we read in verse 11, he came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set, taking one of the stones of the place. He put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Jacob is on the run, all alone, in the dark. His brother wants to kill him. Genesis 27, 41 says that after Jacob stole Esau's blessing, Esau comforted himself by saying, well, after my father dies, I'll just kill him. And so Jacob is is literally all alone. His own family's out to get him. He's in the dark. He has nothing to his name but a stone. And it's right there where God meets him. Have you ever been there? All alone, maybe just metaphorically, all alone, totally aware of your brokenness and sin, in the dark, with no resources to fix the, the insurmountable problems in your life. And it's right in that moment that God meets you. When I was about 23, um, there had been a series of events that happened in my life, both, both things that I had done, but also things that had sort of happened within my family. My, my stepfather became an addict uh, and went, um, ended up, we ended up losing our home because he had spent so much money on drugs that he was no longer paying the mortgage. And then a year after that, my mother had a heart attack and was in a coma for several weeks and ended up um, brain damaged and is in a nursing home, has been in a nursing home in a bed for 20 years. Um, my, I, I, <laughs> my, my surrogate family, my girlfriend's family, they moved away. My girlfriend smartly broke up with me because I was a disaster of a person. And in that darkness, when I had nothing to my name, nothing but my, my little room in, in the house that I shared with my college roommates, I had nothing to my name, I cried out to God, made my complaint, blamed everything on him, and then when I finally was quiet, he said, I've taken your sin, I want all of you. You don't get to live this, half, this half-hearted life where you claim me one day of the week and, and you do whatever you want the other days of the week. You, you don't get to live for, for yourself if you claim to be one of my followers. And God met me right in the dark, just like he did Jacob, and I wonder if he's met you in that way. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this morning that Christianity is not about being good enough to get to heaven. Christianity is the good news that though all of us, none of us is good enough, God came to meet us in the dark. And he sent the Lord Jesus to pay for our sins and to to defeat our sins, to renew us, to restore us, to transform us, and to bring us into his family. God is a God who meets us in the midst of our brokenness and sin. Just as he met Jacob, there at Bethel. So how does God meet Jacob? He, he gives him this dream. The dream says, Jacob, I am absolutely committed to you. I'm absolutely committed to my covenant promises. I'm not ignoring what you've done, right? You're going to have to, you're going to go off to, to your uncle Laban, and he's going to show you what a con man is like. You're going to have to, you know, there's going to be repercussions for your sin, but I want you to know I am absolutely committed to you. Verse 12, he sees this vision. Uh, And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. That is such 
an encouraging vision. Uh, Jacob sees, maybe it's a ladder, maybe it's a staircase, maybe it's like a Mesopotamian ziggurat where the angels are going up and at the top is the gate of heaven. It really doesn't matter exactly what he saw, but he knew that the vision was telling him God is still at work in the world. If there's angels ascending and descending, then that means God's angels are going out into the world, accomplishing what God has them has for them, and coming back and reporting to him. If there's a stairway between earth and heaven, that means God's not done with the earth. That means there's a connection between the throne of heaven and Yahweh, the Lord of everything, and this world. That means even in my brokenness, God is still at work. So he sees this vision, the angels ascending and descending, reminding him that God is so committed to this world. God is committed to this world. But God even goes further by speaking to Jacob, and he reaffirms this covenant. We read in verses 13 through 15, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until what I have done, what I have promised you. These, uh, the elements of these promises from uh, of the covenant that, that God is restoring or reaffirming with Jacob, these come from the promises that he made to Abraham, right? You probably recognize them from Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, this promise of a land, this promise of offspring. God is going to take Jacob. He's going to go off into Haran, Padan Aram, and he's going to meet his wife, and he's going to be there for years and years and years, but God will faithfully bring him back to the land, and he is going to have offspring. It's from Jacob that come the, the heads of the tribes of Israel. And he, God is going to be with him in the midst of all of that. And there's a beautiful way in which these promises aren't just for Jacob some three, four, five thousand years ago. These promises are for all who have faith in Jesus. They've been sort of increased and expanded and transformed through what Jesus came and did. Paul says that Whoever has faith in Jesus is a child of Abraham. So anything that God promised to Abraham, there's a sense in which it's ours. It's our promise. God is committed to us. But Jesus, when we read our gospel reading, he said, you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, on himself. He is the connection between heaven and earth. He is the place where God's presence is made known. And he, through him, all of these promises come true. The promise of land. Think about how, as you go through the Bible, the promise of land is not just about the promise of the Holy Land, but the psalmists talk about Zion in the future, where all the nations will come and worship. And then Isaiah talks about all things being restored, and that the whole earth will be like a new heaven and a new earth. And obviously at the end of the book of Revelation, we see the end of the Bible, the great happy ending for all of us is that God is going to make all things new in the new Jerusalem the new heavens and the new earth. And so if you have faith, God's promise of giving a land, a home, and to bring you safely to that home is, is a promise for you. God will bring you to the new heavens and the new earth through faith in Jesus. The promise of offspring. The majority of us uh, 
are probably not ethnically Jewish. And so this promise is fulfilled just in the fact that we are here, that we are worshiping Jesus. We know the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, who came incarnate in Jesus Christ. The blessing has come to all the nations. It has come to, to all the families of the earth through Christ. There's a, there's a couple of ways that that sort of applications that you can think about. One is, if God says, I promise that my blessing is going to come to all the families of the earth, well, that's really encouraging as you seek to share the gospel with people, as you seek to demonstrate the love of God in people's lives. We could do that with real confidence because God is committed to his promises. He says, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. And so we, it doesn't depend on us. It depends on God. He's at work in the world. And then there's also the, this reality that it's not mainly about baptism, but I think this, this passage helps us to think about why do we baptize infants? Well, God says all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's not nation-states will be blessed. It's all the families, all the clans, all the relational groups will be blessed. God works through families. He worked in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They received the sign of the covenant, circumcision, and then God continued to work through their family. And so in a similar way, when we come to the New Testament, we give the covenant sign to infants, to little children, because God works through families. He promised to bless all the families of the earth. So this promise of offspring, it's not just a promise for Jacob so many centuries ago, but it's a promise that we have, we have seen and are seeing fulfilled as God's at work in our lives, in our families. And then the most wonderful promise that God gives to Jacob, he says, I will be with you. You know, Jacob's going to set up that stone as a memorial that this is the place called Bethel, that this is the place called the house of God. But, but there's actually, the more beautiful thing is not that God showed up in a place, but that God committed himself to a person and said, I will be with you. You know, so it's like, if you could say it this way, Bethel's not just that place on that, that mountain ridge there in the Holy Land. Bethel's wherever Jacob goes. Wherever Jacob goes, God promised to be there. God promised to be with him, to, be, to keep him, to bring him back safely to the land. And this is not just a promise for Jacob. It's a promise for all who believe in Christ. He promises to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. I remember last year, as my family, we were praying the daily office, and we read John 14, and it just stood out to me in such a powerful way where Jesus says, whoever believes in me, I and my Father will make our home with him. It's crazy. Through faith in Jesus, Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit come into our hearts. And so there's a sense in which you are Bethel. And this whole place is Bethel because God's presence is here through the Holy Spirit. How powerful is that presence as you are in the dark, as you're, as you're fearful, as you have no resources, as you are keenly aware again of your own failures and brokenness. What a powerful encouragement that, you know, that, that like helps us to straighten up and to walk in confidence before God because he promises to be with us. Uh, Dallas Willard used to tell the story of there was a young boy. It may be autobiographical because Dallas Willard lost his mother when he was a very young child, but he, he tells the story of a young child 
whose mother had passed away, and after she died, he was unable to sleep. And so every night he would come into his father's room and ask if he could sleep with his father in the bed. And of course his father said, oh, yes, absolutely, climb into the bed. But it, it wasn't just that he had to be in the room, in the bed with his father. He needed his father's face to be turned toward him. And so he would, he, with his eyes closed, he would say, Father, are you there? And his father would say, yes, I'm here. You're not alone. My face is turned toward you. That's what, that's what God is saying to Jacob. That's what God is saying to you. If you have faith in Jesus, my face is turned toward you. You're not alone. You're not an orphan. Even in the dark, even when you fail, even when it feels like the brokenness around you is crushing, I am with you. My presence is with you. That's God's promise through faith. So how does Jacob respond? How should we respond? Jacob responds, I have three C's, because, you know, at some point you've got to use alliteration in your sermon, right? Conviction, commemoration, and commitment. He's suddenly aware. You know, it, it, I can almost hear in, in Jacob's inner thoughts, you know, he's heard Abraham talk about God. He's heard his father and his mother talk about the Lord, the God of Israel. But he doesn't really give the vibe that he's a person who takes that all that seriously in his own life, right? But in this experience, suddenly he realizes, oh wow, Yahweh's real. Not only is he real, but he sees me. He knows, he knows me. He knows everything I've done, and he's paying attention to me, and he is convicted, right? It says he was in awe. Wow, that's amazing. God is real, and he sees me, and he's also afraid, <laughs> That means he sees me, right? He sees me in all my, all my baggage and all my failures. But Jacob is convicted. He, he's convicted of the reality of God and the reality of God's promises. He's, to use a, a later phrase from the Bible, he's cut to the heart. And then he's in that position where he wants to respond to God. And so it says he wakes up, verses 18 and 19. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he put under his head, and he set it up for a pillow and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. So he has this commemoration. It's interesting that, that up until this point in the story, the place has just been called a place. There was a certain place. It's as if the fact that there was a, a big Canaanite city called Luz there is completely irrelevant to the story because God is about to transform that place no longer going to be Luz. It doesn't matter what its old name was. It doesn't matter what your old name was, because this place is Bethel. I'm transforming this. And Jacob commemorates that. He puts that, that stone and he pours oil on it as a memorial. So that, you know, a, a sign of a spiritual reality that every time he was to walk by that stone, he would think, that's the place where I met the Lord. That's the place where the Lord, more importantly, that's the place where the Lord met me in the dark. And we have a commemoration, don't we? We say in our, in our liturgy, the celebrant says in our liturgy, the memorial of our redemption. And that when we take the Eucharist, Christ is in, uh, in us and we are in him. And he is present to us, really, in some mysterious spiritual way in this commemoration. So there's Jacob's convicted. He, he sets up a commemoration. And then he commits himself to the Lord to worship and serve him. Now, when you first read that, if you look at these verses, it says, uh, verse 20, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, 
so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. It sounds like a deal, right? It sounds a little bit like old Jacob creeping up, the, the, the schemer, the trickster, the one who's always trying to get a, a better deal out of somebody, you know, who's not satisfied that the item's on sale and needs to get 10% more off of it, right? Even if he has to be dishonest to get it. Uh, it sounds like that, but actually it's not. In the Old Testament, there's numerous examples where people make vows to God. And they're not deals, like sometimes we think in our heart, I think, uh, God, if you get me out of this situation, I promise I will never X. Or I promise I will always Y. It, it's not like that at all. It's a, it's a solemn, faithful commitment to God. N- notice the things that, that Jacob says, if God will do these things, if God will be with me, well, that's what God already promised to do. If God will keep me, well, that's what God already promised to do. And give me all that I need and clothing to wear. Well, he's going to have to do that if he's going to take you all the way to Haran and bring you all the way back. If God will be my God, then I will be, I will follow him. I will worship him and serve him. So it's not a deal. It's a vow. It's a commitment from his heart. It's, it's him saying, God, you've become so real to me. I'm so overwhelmed by your covenant promises that you are so committed to me that I am absolutely committing myself to you wherever you want to take me, wherever, however you want to use me, I will worship and serve you. You will be, the Lord shall be my God. And as we read through the rest of the story of the Old Testament, we see how God kept all these promises to Jacob, and we've talked about how they've come to their f- fulfillment in Jesus. Have you committed yourself, you know, to worship and serve him? Not just to claim him a day of the week, or to to mark him when you fill out the census or something like that, but have you committed yourself to worship him, to serve him in in whatever capacity and however he calls you? Because look how committed God is to you through these covenant promises. Even in our brokenness and sin, God meets us in the dark. I'm going to take a few minutes, uh, maybe 30 seconds, um, and reflect on that. Is there a place where God is calling you a way that God is calling you to commit to him. Let's reflect on that, and then I'll close us in prayer. Lord God, I pray that this message would echo in our hearts the rest of this day and this week, that even if we don't know exactly what you're calling us to commit to you, in what way you're calling us to commit to you, that, that this would bear fruit this week, that you would show us, that you'd give us the eyes to see how we are called to worship and serve you in our own lives, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplaces. God, I pray that you would give us such a wonderfully heavy sense of your grace, of how committed you are to your promises, how beautiful these promises are as fulfilled in Jesus that you would strengthen us and that we would be absolutely committed to your purposes. And these are, these are beyond our ability to stir up in ourselves. And so we ask for your help by your Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name. Amen.